Hey guys, it's Jason Webb. This is the show that highlights local business leaders and the movers and shakers of Minnesota. Welcome to Minnesota Made. What's up, Minnesota? On the line, on the Zoom meeting today, I have Dave Neville with Infinity Robotics. Robotics, man, uh, Dave, you know, most of the time we're talking to, I would say, a lot of contractors and manufacturers. And robotics and manufacturing, I guess those work hand in hand rather nicely. Let's start a little bit with what you guys are doing now, and then we'll rewind and get a backstory on it. But uh, can you just give me a brief overview on what Infinity Robotics is all about? So Infinity's Robotics, our main task is robot integration. And you're right, manufacturing is our partner. We build robots that machine that tend machines, do deburring, grinding, polishing. We uh, make paint robots, welding robots. The next big thing that we're seeing more and more of is assembly robots and assembling different pieces of technology, whether it's parts or electronics. So what we do is we come in and we look at we take robots and different pieces of equipment, we get them working together, and build them in our lab, test them out. Go to, go to the customer and install them on their site and help them increase their production. Cool. Well, it's a, it's a very unique field, and I think um, there's definitely a need out there. And is the main mo- motivation behind adding a robot to, let's say, my, I don't know, manufacturing business assembly line is to increase efficiency, reduce injuries, that type of thing? Yep, that's actually two of the main things. We run into a lot of labor that it's repetitive motion type stuff where people are getting hurt in the jobs, or it's just very dirty, nasty work. And the robots we bring in to kind of replace that task and put that person into a role where they're using their mind a little more creatively. And we're using that human vision and thought process to increase the production while the robot does the really boring, dangerous, dirty stuff. Gotcha. Now, how did you get involved in such a unique type of business? I have two boys. I have two boys. There they are, eight and nine. My oldest, he really loves robots, like the remote control RTD2 robot type thing or the robotic looking dog. Were you that kid? Yes. Seven years old, all as I ever wanted was an erector set so I could build my own robot arm. And my my godmother, Barb Hill, God bless her, she found me an erector set, and at seven years old, I attempted to build my first robot arm. Fast forward to high school, I walked into the electronics lab, and the teacher had a couple robot arms on the table. And Jim Winehouse from Burnsville High School, God bless him, he went out and got a grant for a Hero 2000 robot kit from Heathkit, if you remember the old Heathkit technology. And we got to build a robot in 1985. And uh, we were probably the first robot club in the state. I think we were one of four because at the state robot championship, we won with a robot that didn't turn on, but it kind of beat the design of the other kids. And let's let's face it, we were one of the first robot clubs ever. So you're a, kind of a pioneer back in high school. And there there is such a thing, did you say, as a robotic state championship? There, there is and there was. I don't know how my teacher got into it, but we won the state championship apparently or got first place for one of the categories. 
yeah, it was kind of an exciting time. I've been watching robotics since then. I spent uh, 20 years as a headhunter for electrical engineers, think machine vision, motion control, just about any medical device, defense system. I had engineers working on that. And I decided in 2009, I wanted to learn about manufacturing. So I started a gun company called Kuhn and Inc. And that gave me an excuse to buy CNC machines. And I wanted to start building my own drive systems for robots. Fast forward that about 10 years to about five years ago, I exited the gun industry, went to work for a robot company. I was their first salesperson in really 50 years. And being a little bit outgoing and very obnoxious. I didn't last long. And when I left, uh, a bunch of uh, fellow employees contacted me and said, hey, you should go start your own robot company. So that's what I went out and did. Wow. Now, did you grow up in Burnsville? Is that where you're from? Savage, actually. I was was born in Minneapolis, moved to Savage at four and grew up in the Savage Burnsville School District. And where's the business Infinity Robotics based out of? We're in Savage at a 1942 war facility called Continental Hydraulics, Continental Machines. And we're leasing lab space down on Highway 13 next to the Buffalo Tap in, in, on, in Savage. Okay. Robots. Now, we're not talking Star Wars, walking robots, that's going to go get me a beer. We're talking like robotic arms or mechanical type devices that will do, say, the same repetitive motion, let's say, on an assembly line over and over. Does that sound about right? That's the history of robots. That's where they've been up till recently is that repetitive motion, do it as fast as you can, repeat it over and over. Um, What we're seeing today is more assembly type robots or grinding robots where we're using force feedback sensors, we're using vision and we're doing more advanced tasks than just pick and place. So we're getting closer and closer to the walking robots and the humanoid type workers. I think we're five, 10 years out from that being affordable, but different companies we're working with have upright walking robots that they're trying to bring to market. It's just the tech isn't quite there. So uh, is, is your company dealing with any kind of artificial intelligence type stuff at all? Yep, we employ, we, we employ a lot of artificial intelligence depending on the, the, the task we're at. Um, when it comes to assembly or uh, performing vision for quality assurance and teching out a part, there's what I'm going to call low-level artificial intelligence. I'm, I'm still not overly impressed with where we're at with AI right now. Finally, I think people are coming around to realizing AI is not just a vision, that uh, tactile feedback is the key to the future for artificial intelligence and robot interaction with, with the environment and the people around it. So we're there. We're on the cutting edge of this right now. It's very cool, Jason. Yeah, yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, I, my, my son would be in heaven uh, going to check out your company, I'm sure. So Yeah, we'll definitely bring them down. We, we do give tours. Okay, awesome. What are some of the things you're either currently working on? I don't know if you can give examples or... Some of the things you have in the pipeline that you're looking forward to working on that you see in the near horizon. So, you know, from our from our day-to-day normal task, we, we're in the process of delivering a system which is packaging student breakfast kits for kids who need a breakfast when they get to school. Uh, we're, we're taking cereal, juice box, applesauce, some crackers, and a spoon. We're on using robots primarily to unpack about half of that. 
and then package it into these little plastic kits that when a kid gets to school and is hungry, they can sit at their desk and have a meal. Mm. And that, that's been a really cool advanced system. Robots that unpack something aren't super special. Pick and place robots aren't super special. And robots that can put something in a box, it's, that's not super special. Mm. But doing all three processes with robots in one system is pretty cool. It was, it was a very large distributed system and it kicks out a lot of food for this packaging company. The other thing that we're super excited about is we just finished a study with Mankato State University, and the kids there determined that there is enough gently used car batteries that robots could sort them, put them into racks, and we can store wind and solar power as we need it. And these are massive grid stage storage devices, somewhere between 4 and 40 megawatt hours of energy per system, depending on where it's at and how much the grid can take. That's been an interesting process. We figured out how to do everything with, you know, short of unload the trucks yet. We think the robots will do that eventually. But a human unloads the truck, and from there, the robot takes the battery off the pallet, determines whether it's good enough or bad to use to store energy, sends the bad ones to the grinder, takes the good ones, puts them into totes, that puts them on like a pallet rack, and we can store, like I said, anywhere from four megawatt hours in a smaller system up to 40 for, for a more of a massive system. And we're talking 125,000 used car batteries that the robots handle and manage. And this is a total lights out production facility where other than the people on the dock, no humans kind of go past the robots. Huh. All right. So if I have a solar panel farm or a big windmill... Uh, and I'm, uh, I don't know, collecting energy from the sun or from the wind, and I'm using it for my personal use, and the stuff I don't use, I don't know a lot about the, about this stuff, but I understand, like, the way I see it is I'm going to use some of the energy, and the stuff I don't use gets pushed off to the grid, right? Whatever the grid is. So, you know, right now I live in Buffalo, and I pay the city of Buffalo a monthly electric bill right yep. so i don't know and i where's the grid at you know it, what, what is this it's kind of like i think of it like the cloud it's like this thing i don't know exactly where it is or how it works where's the grid well welcome to almost all the power brokers and in electric companies they they they're they understand it just about as well as you do from what i can tell so far a couple things if you have a solar panel at home all of that energy actually just gets fed into the grid and you get a credit to use energy against that. So that's how a home system works. Mm. If we're talking a commercial solar field or wind farm, right now, at least in most of Minnesota, that's all pumped into the ground as heat because the power companies don't want to use wind or solar power because it's cheaper to use nuclear and gas-fired plants. So basically what the law told the Minnesota power companies was, you have to build wind and solar power. Apparently nothing in the law said they had to use it. And what they've told me recently is, therefore, there's no need to actually store the energy or use it efficiently. So it's really crazy. I mean, I built a robot that basically could help relieve a lot of pressure on the environment in our planet. And it comes down to the lawmakers didn't think to tell the power company that when they build these solar fields, they have to use the energy. Some of it's getting used, but 
for the most part, they have no, there's no recourse for them to store it. So we're, we're going outside of Minnesota at this point to look to build prototypes to prove out this, this earth-shattering technology, if you will. And let's be honest, it's the oldest technology since the automobile was invented. We've had car batteries. Yeah. And for years, I was told you couldn't use car batteries to store power. You're familiar with your deep cycle battery on your boat. Mm. You know, if you have a boat, you can charge up, run your stuff down 80%, and that battery can charge and recharge for a couple years that way. If you treated a car battery that way, it would be wrecked in about a month or less. So what I had to train all the engineers is... We're not going to run these down 80% like you're running a trolling motor on a boat. We're going to use car batteries for what they were made, starting the car. Short bursts of 30 seconds to a minute of discharge at high amperage and then rest and then discharge down to 20%. And the argument engineers had for years with me, Jason, was, hey, you'd have to buy six car batteries you know, which costs just as much as one deep cycle, why not just use deep cycle? And my response was, I'm using trash. We're basically, what we found through Mankato State was 17 to 27% of all used car batteries are still good, what we call gently used. They're four years old. They've got a year or two left in them, but they can store energy. And we're going to discharge those at 20%. The neat thing with that is, you can, what we do call peak shaving. So what we're doing is 4 to 8 p.m., people go home and turn on their air conditioner. And that's when the biggest draw is and they have to fire up a bunch of extra gas plants to meet that demand. Mm. This capacitor or battery bank will allow them to draw down energy that they stored from the sun or the wind the night before or just idling the nuclear power plant. So that's kind of the idea. The neat thing is, do you remember Texas just went broke from their power problem in the winter? Uh, Man, I don't watch the news. I just get depressed. So no, I didn't hear about it. Fair enough. So Texas had an ice storm and all the windmills and solar panels failed and just cascading failure across the grid. If they had had two or three of my systems in there, they probably wouldn't have gone bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Because what they could have done is they could have drawn down one part of the grid for four hours and kept that one floating without having these cascading failures. The neat thing with my car batteries are, is you can discharge them 80%. Well, we would normally do 20. We could have not only provided four hours for them at 20, but if they needed, we could have given them eight, 12, even 16 hours of stored energy. The drawback with my system using old car batteries is if you did that say for five days in a row, discharged them real heavy and recharged them again, you would wreck the trash in your system and you would have to put new trash back in the system to store energy in the future. Oh, well. A little bit, little bit of a joke there. Yeah. But most people, if you wreck literally millions of dollars of lithium ion Tesla batteries or, or traditional deep cycle batteries, it'd be a fortune to replace it. All as we're talking about is beating up the trashed batteries to the point where they're wrecked and then having to put new trashed batteries in there to that are in a little better shape. Right. So it's just an opportunity to secure our energy future in our country and be more smart about how we operate and how we use energy. That's just, that's kind of the big idea we're yeah. working on. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. So I'm still hung up on part of what you just said. So 
the government tells the energy companies, hey, you need to produce some type of renewable energy source, either solar or wind or I don't know, whatever. You need to make solar fields or whatever. You need to put them out there, but you're not required to actually use the energy that it produces. Correct. That just sounds ass backwards to me. Well, in their defense, they knew they needed to build this infrastructure to generate power. In the, in the government's wisdom, and they, and they didn't screw up on this, they're, they're playing catch up, and not every state is this way. But there wasn't viable battery technology 10 years ago when they mandated to build all this wind and solar. They're just, you know, they're really, you know, Tesla has their wall of power. What I'm trying to do is when it comes to lead acid car batteries, there's already the lead mines. There's already 13 recycling centers across the U.S. So you think when you pull that battery, your, your mechanic pulls that battery out of your car, that battery is driving to one of 13 locations across the U.S. to be recycled into new car batteries, ammunition, or fishing tackle. Those are the three big lead markets left in the U.S. Okay. So back when they did the laws, it was fair. Since then, Tesla's come up with a lithium-ion opportunity that we could store energy. The problem there is now we have to rush to open lithium-ion mines. Now, Infinity Robotics, if you walk into our lobby, you're going to see on the wall, it says, change the way we live on and off this planet. And what we mean by that is we want to change the way we live on this planet by building robots that help people have better lives building robots to store energy, building robots for the mining industry. So we're very pro-mining. In fact, we want to build mining robots on the planet Earth so that we can go out to the asteroid belt and mine the asteroid belt for raw materials for our civilization. So, so we do have a very big picture. You know, we 70% of what we do is industrial, working with manufacturers to automate their systems. We're hoping 20, 30% of our company is pure R&D. How do we build these robot batteries? How do we build bat, um, robots that are going to go in outer space and refuel satellites and mine the asteroid belt and help humans navigate and take habitat either on Mars, the moon, or wherever they end up going? So we have some big ideas. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're looking at taking the solar power energy or wind-generated energy from the power plants that they're not necessarily using and store it so you can actually use it. And you're going to store it in car batteries that are considered junk anyway. You're going to recycle those. And the whole thing is going to be pretty much operated off of robots, right? Right. So I mean, how long have you been on this path? And what kind, of, uh, what kind of bumps along the road have you had to encounter? Well, it, 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 the journey started at 35 years ago at Sears Roebuck and Company in the Auto Center. I was selling at 16 years old. I was selling car batteries. Huh. And Irv Shank, the auto center manager, came up and goes, you know, Dave, most of these batteries you're selling are still pretty much okay. And I said, Irv, I know it's the same story over and over. Jason, I checked out your battery. It checked out okay. It is on the low end of okay, and it is four years old. I'd feel better if you had a set of jumper cables on a 40 below night, but otherwise you're good to go. And Jason, you'd look at me going, I just missed two hours of work. It's a hundred bucks. Just throw a new battery in my car. I don't want to worry about it. Right. I imagine that discussion is the same way down in Texas. 
hey, Jason, your battery is okay. It's on the low end of okay. It is four years old. Between me and you, I'd have some jumper cables on a 110-degree day. You know, there's, there's two things in American lives. We don't want to jump a car at 110 degrees because they ask, first question they're going to ask, is my air conditioner going to run while I'm jumping the car? <laughs> and of course, in Minnesota, you know, we're all about, can the heater run while I'm jumping my car? Right. So that's where I kind of came up with the idea. I realized that most of these batteries were gently used. I've spent about the last 30 years talking about using this technology differently than most power engineers think of it. And I've had to convert a lot of them. It wasn't until I got into robots a few years ago that I'd gone to a trade show and I saw what was called a VSU, a vertical storage unit. And it was just a way, actually the one I saw at first was used to store Chinese herbs. And it was a four-story tall probably 80-foot wide vending machine to dispense Chinese herbs. And I looked at the construction of that, and I thought, wow, that could be used to hold a car battery, and we could do these car battery racks. Well, then I saw what Amazon was using, a different type of VSU at a trade show. And I realized we could put four, three, four of these batteries in a tote, and we could use these totes to manage and shuttle these energy packs around, and we could series parallel them into, in a way that we could literally have massive amounts of grid storage power available. Yeah. 35 years I've been on the journey, and we're, we finally got the study done this year. Okay. So now what? So you got the study done, uh, proving that there's all these gently used car batteries available at your disposal. What's next with that? So right now we're trying to find a host to build a prototype. We think a company called Gopher Resources and Egan would be a good partner with this. We've had some discussions. They recycle 50,000 used car batteries a day. So they've got more than enough to get this going. What we've kind of found is we're going to have to work with the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission. They're the one who dictates how power is used and what, what the uh, – the Excel and other companies can charge. So what we're in the process doing is, is I'm trying to do a small raise. We're trying to raise between 500,000 and a million dollars right now to put efforts to get the design done, get some people at the Capitol um, talking to some of our state senators and representatives and see how we can get a prototype built to prove this out. And, and that's kind of my next big step with the battery idea okay. is Make the public aware, one, it's, it's possible, and we're trying to find allies in this field to help us bring it to market. Gotcha. This is all commercial off-the-shelf technology. Mm. We could be building this and be using this as soon as next year. There's no major breakthroughs that have to happen. We just need to build a prototype and prove to the naysayers that this is a viable, very inexpensive way. For instance, if you've been following Tesla's grid leveling wall of power, we think we're about 30 cents on the dollar of what one of those systems that would cost to operate. Huh. So much lower operating cost with the robots and literally the free material to store the energy. So uh, you, you're educated in this field and, you know, I got my, my uh, uh, armchair friends, armchair quarterback friends talking about these lithium battery run cars and there's quite a few of them out there now and how you know they're supposed to be more earth friendly but when you factor in the mining that's involved and what do you do with the batteries once they're no longer useful and so on 
uh, you know, what's your opinion on the overall impact on the earth? Are, are these, you know, electric cars really helping things out or is it a wash or you feel like it's doing more harm to the earth than just going with a gas powered car? I truly believe overall they're better for the environment. What I'm trying to do with this technology is not to make a rush to open up new lithium mines. Lithium is a really nasty material to mine and process. We can do it. We can do it right. But like everything else, it's probably best if we don't have to rush to bring them online. The beauty of my technology is, is I do think in 10 to 20 years, lead acid batteries will probably twilight out of the automotive industry and we'll see more of what we're seeing in, in, in the electric vehicles and hybrids. Mm. My technology can adapt to that, recycle those cells and use them for energy storage to get the squeeze the last few remaining life out. And then the beauty of like lead, the nice thing with lithium ion is it can be recycled. It's a nasty process, but so is lead recycling. And, and we have the right types of environmental regulations to make that environmentally friendly. At least minimal impact is probably the best word to use. Yeah. Okay. So I think overall good for lithium ion. I just think it's going to be really bad if we're in a rush to use that for energy storage. They don't make good energy storage material right off the bat. If we recycle it, I think it's a little different. I know Tesla or Elon Musk has like a solar roof that can be applied to a, a residential type setting. I don't know if it's released yet or not, but I know there's talks about it. And now there's other roofing companies that have jumped on board and trying to come up with their own version of that where, you know, it doesn't look like a solar panel strapped to the roof. It looks like actual shingles or roofing material on the roof. Correct. It's generating solar power that's going to be stored or pushed off somewhere. So the 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 way it works now, it sounds like are you saying with a like a solar powered roof, it gets pushed off to the grid. And where is the grid? And then and then you get a credit back on your electric bill. Is that how they're proposing all this works? I mean I, I picture having an electric car in my garage and a solar panel roof roofing material and I'm charging my car directly from the energy I generate from my roof. Is that not how it works? It could work that way. In Minnesota, normally what you would do is hook your power panel up to the grid. And the good news about the grid is it literally is a grid. If you were to think of a uh, grid paper, mm -hmm. you know, with the lines and grids on a piece of paper, yeah. technically that's what the grid is. It's just wires crisscrossing communities that is collecting and discharging power at will. So unlike the cloud, which is a little nebulous, get it, nebulous cloud, bad pun. Anyways. So does every city have a grid? Every Everywhere pretty much around the world has a grid. There, there's, a, there's a main trunk power line coming from some sort of power plant yeah. to what we, you know, you'll see a distribution where you'll, you'll see all the wires kind of come into a small, lot on you know next to a neighborhood okay, yeah. and then you'll see the wires going out to your house and they might be underground they might be above ground at that point okay got it. so it is technically a grid and there is ways to connect and disconnect from those different parts of the grid and it is the u.s grid that is incredibly fragile our grid just so you know each transformer in the grid 
is specifically built for that geographic location. They don't have like a thousand of them go, let's put one here, one here, one here. They actually manufacture the transformers at these substations specifically for that spot. So if one burns out, it usually takes about three years for Germany or Japan to ship us a new one. Mm. And we have an aging grid. So what my systems allow us to do is put a capacitor on that grid so that if we're attacked by terrorists, we don't get this cascading grid failure. We can stop that at one of these battery banks by either absorbing the energy or expelling the energy as needed so the grid doesn't collapse. And it's very important that enough electricity stay on the grid and just the right amount so that everything works well. Gotcha. And it gets complicated, Jason. It's not an easy subject. Yeah, yeah. So what we would do in the case where everybody had solar roofs is you're feeding it back to the grid. You may or may not feed it into one of our battery banks, and we would store that energy for, say, midnight to 3 a.m. when when your solar panel isn't running so you can draw back and run your air conditioner or continue charging your car. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, you got big... Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. you got big things okay. on the horizon, man. When I when I was going to talk about robots, this this is a, <laughs> wasn't the direct direction I thought we were going to go, but it's all really interesting. And it's, uh, I mean, I hope everything, all that works out for you. I mean, it yeah. sounds like it's on its way anyway. And uh, like you said, you just need a, need a chance. You need a, you need a prototype to prove it works, right? Correct. That's one of the things we're working on. Other things we do in our lab is uh, we've got an assembly robot line coming on. A company called Rover Robotics just moved into part of our lab, and we're going to help them manufacture their robots. And it's probably going to take us a couple of years, but within a couple of years, we expect we will have robots self-replicating these mobile robots for the company. What? So, not, so that's how far I, it's come, guys. Now you're trying to scare me. It's like, we got robots making robots? That's the goal here. That's what we're building out over the next 6 to 12 months for Rover Robotics. And these robots, actually, just if you've been watching the commercials, these are, they initially started out as pizza delivery robots. That's their main customer, is delivering food out in California. Wow. Wow, man. I feel like I'm uh, stepping into the future here. That's why I'm in this field. It, every day, it's just amazing what comes and goes through my doors on a daily basis. Back to the manufacturing piece. What are some of the manufacturing industries that you say that you're involved with now regarding integrating your robotic technology within their, their company or their assembly line type thing? Is it uh, food manufacturing? Was that one of them? That's one. Well, one of the projects we just delivered was food packaging. We just bit out a sandwich making robot system for, for making uh, sandwiches. Have a couple bids out right now for what we call machine tending. These are just taking raw stock, putting it into a machine, taking it out of the machine and putting it into totes. So we, we do a lot of machine tending. I was out at a small company out in Howard Lake that wants us to make a sanding robot to sand cabinet doors and different products, wood products they make. Uh, their problem is they can't get people in the door. And the sanding's the one job that everybody hates because it's dusty and it's nasty. Yeah. So that is probably going to evolve into what we call, which is the next wave of robotics, is robots as a service. We get a lot of calls from large cereal companies and stuff where they have a robot that's gone down and they want us to bring in an emergency robot 
and set it in place and run their production line while we get the right type of robot in for, for their production. And when I look at these smaller manufacturers, robot as a service makes sense because when you look at putting down six plus figures for a robotic system, sometimes for a small company, that's hard to swallow. But getting them to lease the system and pay $15, $25 an hour to use the system, that's got a great ROI. And it's about what it would cost to hire somebody off the street to do the job if they could convince somebody to come in and do that dirty job. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're trying to uh, move ourselves into more of this robots as a service where you can rent, you know, rent a bot kind of thing. It's more of a lease. We actually just bid one for a company out in South Dakota. So that was kind of cool. Uh, the other types of robots we do is assembly robots where, you know, maybe we're taking two pieces of a medical device and, you know, screwing them together and using an ultrasonic welder, basically moving some of the material around that's, that's a little bit hazardous to the people and doing the sub-assembly on that process. I have a robot in my lab that it builds valve assemblies just picks up the three parts of the valve, presents it to a real simple DC motor, and it screws everything together, throws it in a bin, and then the next robot or technician can grab that piece and finish building it. Yeah. So sub-assemblies and full assemblies is a lot of what we do. Kitting. We do a lot of robot kitting. So if you think of your IKEA furniture, it comes with a bag, and there's all these parts in it. Yeah. Um, you know, They literally have somebody in front of a bin picking those parts, putting it in the bag, so what we do a lot of times is we'll put those parts onto what we call a shake table, and it just shakes the parts out so that they're somewhat singular. And then the robot uses vision to pick those and place them in the bag. And it could place one to 20 parts, different parts into a bag, depending on the systems we set up. Yeah. So we get a lot of requests for that kind of stuff. Every day, something else comes across my desk where someone has a problem. And the joke in robotics is if you have enough time, money, and um, space, we can automate anything for you. And, and that is fairly true. Huh. Interesting. Now, you, you know, one last thing I wanted to bring up that you, I guess I, I want to, uh, I guess, reiterate regarding what you just said is the fact that one thing I hear from my guests over and over again uh, is it's really hard to find people, to hire people. They're short people. They have to, they shut down third shift, they shut down weekends because they can't, just can't find people to hire, right? And, right. Uh, you know, without getting too political, I mean, I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, they're sitting at home collecting unemployment and making more money than they were otherwise, so they just want to continue to sit home. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, a common theme is they can't find people. So, this could be a solution. And I love the idea of Lisa Robot because like you said, you know, forking, writing out a big check to get a robot in there might not be feasible for some of these companies, but leasing one is. So yes. yeah, man, I think that's a, that's a great idea. So to answer your, you know, to kind of back up, people were having a horrible time filling positions prior to the pandemic. The government aid just made it worse. Yeah. So this was a problem way before the pandemic. Employment was very low and people couldn't fill these positions. One way we're finding customers to fill positions is people know the job. And if they know they got to go in and, and grind and deburr and polish stuff, they'd rather not go to work. 
Mm-hmm. But when people walk in and they see the robot doing the dirty, nasty grunt stuff that just kills your elbows and your hands, mm-hmm. they're more likely to take the job with you because one, they want the experience working around the robots. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it kind of helps. It helps in both ways. It alleviates their, their labor shortage and it actually is an attraction for people to come in and work with a company that's automating and chance to play with the, the new, new tech. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. All right, Dave, I think we're approaching cool time limit here. So if people want to find out more about Infinity Robotics or get a hold of you, do you want to throw out your phone number and uh, website for us, please? Yep, we're at www.infinityrobotics.com, 952-895-1222, infinityrobotics.com. Got it. Well, I appreciate your time, Dave. Hopefully this will bring some more awareness out to the com- local community uh, regarding what services you have to offer. And uh, that, that whole idea of this uh, reusing these car batteries to store this power that sounds like it's just going to waste right now, I think is a, is a home run. We just got to get that off the ground, man. We could use the help, so please check us out. For any of your listeners, we will come out and do free automation planning, give them an assessment of what could be automated within their plant and how we might go about that. So please take us up on that offer. All right. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That's it, guys. If you know of a Minnesota business leader or a mover and shaker that you feel would be a great guest, please have them go to minnesotamadepodcast.com and have them apply for the show. Thanks for listening, Minnesota.